0: Welcome to My Life, Tanya Applied, with Rabbi Simon Jacobson, a journey into the deepest teachings of Torah and their application to our personal, emotional, and psychological lives. A gutavoch, a good week. We continue our journey in the life-changing Sefer Tanya. This program is made possible by Rena Lights LLC, and is an honor and memory of Rabbi Halevi Weinberg Shalom, Rabbi Moshe Pinchas Hakoyen Katz of Shalom, Rabbi Yael Hakoyen Kahn of Ha-Shalem. It is also in schus and merit of Rabbi Zev Cheskel Hakoyen and Risha Katz, Laedoch for many long healthy years. We concluded Peiriches chapter 8 and we're now ready to begin chapter 9 in Tanya. Every chapter of the Al-Tarebbe is rich with depth and relevance all in the story, in the narrative in the blueprint you can say for how we can fulfill the mission for which we were created and sent to this world. How we can serve God in the greatest possible way and how we become the best we possibly can be. Actualizing our potential, and our faculties, and our skills, and our abilities. So, what have we learned in the first eight chapters? After the initial introduction of the questions al Alter asked as he laid out the five different categories of souls, of people, which are the two levels of the tzaddik, Sadig v'tevle and Sadig v'r'alei, the two levels of the roshah, roshah v'tevle and roshah and the benini, the intermediate, and the different questions he asked, he began at the end, the second half of chapter one, that there are two souls. There are two souls within each one of us, two voices, two forces, two drives. And he calls it the animal soul, nefesh habamis, and the divine soul, the Nefesh al-ikis. So chapters two, three, four, and 5 were dedicated to the divine soul. Chapters 6, 7, and 8 were dedicated to the animal soul. Establishing that there are two forces within us. One is rooted in klipas nega, the Nefesh abamis, which is a form of a shell, but a radiant shell. Not like Sholosh Kripsat as we discussed, which is completely off-limits and forbidden. It's a shell, which means it conceals the divine purpose, the fruit and the spark within, but it could be revealed. It could be directed properly. And then there's Kedusha, the Tzad Kedusha, which is not Sitra Achre, not the other side, which is a completely dedicated bottle, completely dedicated, committed, to the purpose for which it was created, what God wants of us. So essentially, we have two voices, two forces within us. And the Altarab elaborated. First, as I said at the end of chapter one, he explained that there are the two, he began briefly explaining the animal soul, its, com- its composition, and the negative forces, the negative traits and characteristics of the personality of the animal soul. And then in chapter 2 began explaining that Hashanah is the second soul, the divine soul. First explaining its very personality, that it's divine in nature. Like the child of a father. Similar to the same genetic makeup of of the parent. So a soul is made up by Yipach Ba'apam Nishmas Chaim, is God's breath. And thus the soul carries God's personality, so to speak. The godly personality. Driven toward transcendence, not toward self-interest driven toward the divine purpose. The soul itself, he continues to explain in chapter 3, is made up of ten faculties and three garments. And that's chapters 4, 5. Which means that it's not just a very personality, but it's, a very, its tools, its instruments, its faculties, and its ways of expression, the manifestation in thought, speech, and action are also all divine. As he explained there at length, how the mind, the div- the mind, the Chabad, and the Chagas, the cognitive and the emotional faculties are all driven to contemplate on and understand godliness, to feel godliness, to love and revere the divine. And then in the garments, expression that our thoughts, our speech, and our action are all consumed with the divine expression. Learning Torah, learning mitzvahs, but then there's another side, Zelu Mase Asalakim, beginning in chapter, in chapter six, where he starts. There's the other side. Sitra Achra, God created another force, and there the divine is concealed in a clipper, in a shell, in a husk, and that's where the animal soul originates. And it too has faculties. Ten faculties, like, like a parallel world, an alter ego ten faculties, and three garments. But there, the faculties and garments are directed towards self-interest. So it's ego egocentric versus God-centric. Self, self-interest versus divine and transcendent. And explained in detail how that manifests in the animal soul. And there, too, there's the two categories of the clippers, as we mentioned. And the Alter Rebbe continued in chapter 6 and then 7 and 8, discussing how that manifests in all its forms and how that involvement in things that are not divine-centric, that are not directed toward our purpose of life, contaminate. They're pollutants. They're toxic. And how one gets cleansed from them. The process of tshuva, even extracting the the, the sparks that are trapped, usually trapped, osr bidei and things that are forbidden, the word from osrs, It's locked, it's trapped, it's tied down. And the different scenarios we spoke about, how it affects thought, speech, action. The final thing we learned in chapter 8 was ultimately how it affects the mind when we're we're involved with secular wisdom which is not focused again toward our divine purpose. So all this was discussed in our previous classes. And now we come to chapter 9, which in a way begins a new chapter Not just a new ninth chapter, but a new section in the narrative. Al Altarebbe now says, now that we've learned three chapters dedicated to the divine soul, three chapters dedicated to the animal soul and all its manifestations, now let's talk about how they come together. Now that we've dissected the anatomy, we understand the dynamics of these two forces within us, how do they interact? and how they do interact with the very body that we're in. Because remember, these are nefoshas, these are spirits, these are souls. And here we're gonna discover the battle. Even though the battle was alluded to and even stated explicitly, but now this chapter is dedicated to the real battle within of these two forces within us. But before we get to the battle, Al-Tadeb is now going to place where the divine soul resides Where does it dwell within the human being? In which faculty or faculties? And where does the animal soul dwell? Why is this important? Because though we learned about their personality, we also want to understand how they they work. And we're gonna learn now that they work in very different ways. The animal soul, its primary location is in the heart. Essentially in the emotions, the impulsive emotions. The divine soul, its primary dwelling area is in the mind, the reflective mind. Keep that that in mind. The impulsive heart, the reflective mind. And they will understand how they work. Because again, till now we've learned about what they're made of and what their interests are and where they direct that interest. But now we want to understand what really makes them tick. And then we could see where the battle takes place, essentially between the reflective mind and the emotional impulsive heart. Not to say emotions are bad, not to say that the mind is, uh, is the only place to go. We need both. But we need to understand how they function. And it makes total sense. Something focused on the divine, meaning not me, 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 self-interest, requires reflection. Something focused on me is very impulsive. That's how we're created. To take care of myself. So let's learn now, chapter nine, and we'll see how these two forces, essentially this is the, ch- the three chapters, Bayes, Gimel, Dalet, hey, two, three, four, and, f- and five, which were dedicated to the divine soul, and six, seven, eight, which were dedicated to the animal soul, I said three and three before, it's actually four and three. Well, the, the animal soul is discussed in the end of chapter one, so it does ultimately have four chapters or partial three and a half chapters that are dedicated to it. These two chapters, these two forces in these these series of chapters, now collide. Here's how they meet. So let's learn inside Pederiktes. V'hinei in starts the Alter Rebbe. V'hinei, Mokem Mishkenefesh Abahmis, Shemeklipus Nega Bechol Ish Yisrael. The animal soul from Klippa Nega, from the bright or the radiant Klippa, husk, within every person in Israel. Where's the Mokim Mishkin? Where's its place? Where's its location? Now, the point here is not to give it a physical location, it's to give it a, a conceptual location. But it's also a physical location. But remember, like someone says, where's your soul? You're not going to say your soul is in your finger or in your head or in your heart. The soul is within all of you. And the soul doesn't occupy space quite the same way. When I hold uh, an object in my hand, it's not quite the soul is being held by the body. The soul is there. But yet the soul does identify with a particular location within us. And above all, because of its function, because of its functionality. So where's the Mokim Mishken Nefesh Abam? It's interesting the word he used, Mokim Mishken. Mishkan we know comes from the word like in the positive when we say we The Mishkan and Migdash, the place where God resides and dwells. So we're talking here where the where is the place, the mishkan of the animal soul? Where does it reside? Where does it live? Where does it dwell? So he says it dwells who believe bechol Smolly, bechol Smolly dam. Where is this location? Is in the heart, and the heart itself, in the left chamber, that is filled with blood. Now, of course, you'll say, one second, the right chamber of the of the heart is not filled with blood. So the Rebbe actually has a very interesting explanation which is based literally on medicine, that both the heart, obviously, pumps blood, but there's a very difference between the right and the left side of the heart. Between the right and the left chamber. The left chamber produces blood. The right chamber, the blood flows through and it carries it to the lungs to bring oxygen in. And then, it cha- and then it, the, the blood rushes to the left chamber. And from there... It circulates throughout the entire body. So essentially what it says, (laughs) Bechol smolishomol edam, means energized blood. A blood that is being generated, not just the blood that that so-called passes through the right side of the heart and mixes with oxygen, but is actually the energizing. Like he says, (laughs) As the verse states, For the blood is the soul. What soul is the blood? The animal soul. That's what he means. So what's the connection? What's the connection between blood and the animal soul? So we already learned in the end of chapter one, because blood is a capture of the passion of the emotions. That's why we say the emotions reside in the heart. That's why the person's desires, all the desires, and the pride, spirus, pride, arrogance, the and anger, and and things similar come from the heart. So like the blood, which is Passionate, which is fiery, which is warm. So these emotions, and we're talking now about the negative emotions of desires, pride, and anger are in the heart, which this is why the connection between the animal soul and the heart. But especially in the, with the place with the blood, the blood originates, the blood is generated, the left side of the heart. So that's the first thing that we've established now. When you go back to the end of chapter one, when he brings this idea, just want to compare comparative language, he says the following. He said, Nefasha, clip of Sitra bedama Odom The animal soul of the clipper is embodied in the blood, energizing the body. There he brings a different verse the verse, Ki nefesh bedamhi, the soul of the flesh is in the blood. But it's a similar idea. Here, the focus, however, is that the emotions is essentially the powerful force of an animal soul. When you see an animal, what's its driving force, even have, has intellect, but it's all for its own survival, its own needs, to breed, to protect its young, to hunt. So it's so primarily, when we say animal, it's primarily impulsive. But as we're going to learn in a moment, the impulses of the heart also affect the mind. So so too in a human being, the desires, the temptations, for our own needs is an emotional one. That's how we're wired to so take care of myself. And it's impulsive, like emotions are. But then he continues. <laughs> and from the heart, the animal soul spreads throughout the entire body, like we see on a physical level, the blood doesn't remain in the heart, it pumps and circulates blood throughout the entire body. And, that, and that, that blood also rushes up to the, goes up to the head, to the brain. In this case, so the blood of the heart is also energizing The mind, the mind also needs blood, but what is it in the context of the animal soul? That the emotional impulses also affect the mind. Where those feelings, the emotions that are coming from the heart, are thought about, contemplated, and schemed upon. Uses three words. Like we see, when a person is emotionally passionate about something, your mind becomes activated to do everything possible to fulfill your desire. Even to the point of obsession. Now the mind is then not the reflective mind that's objective. It's completely being controlled by your emotions. And I don't think we need much proof. Just think of your last time that you had some type of fervor, some type of passion, some type of, some forces that seduced your heart. What happens? Your mind goes overdrive to do whatever it takes to fulfill that desire. And specifically, to think about it, to contemplate, and to scheme. And it's exactly as it is physically, that the blood from the heart flows to all the limbs, rising to the head, to the mind inside the brain too, from its source in the heart. So just as it is physically, it's also, and physiologically, that's also how it is psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. And that's where you see the concept when you say, that bias, prejudice, bri- bribery blinds the eyes of the wise. And it distorts the words of the righteous. So the question is how could the tater call the person and? The tater is calling, the calling them. The true Ta'ir is calling them. It's a true Sadik. And it's a true righteous person, a true tzaddik, a true chachem, and a true tzaddik. A, right, a, a wise person and a righteous person. Because that's the power of emotional bias. Nobody is immune. Even Moshe Rabbeinu recused himself. Why? Because when your heart is involved, you can't be objective. Meaning the heart can be a relative, think of a judge, has to recuse himself, because if he's dealing with a relative, or dealing with something that the judge has interest in, a business that he has financial or other form of interest. So his emotions are involved. So even as smart as he may be, he could be a Chochem and a Tzaddik, the fact is just as the blood of the heart rises to the mind, the subjective emotions affect the objective mind. That's why we also say, Ein, ey, nasadayan. Why not? Who's better to be a judge than a witness? He witnessed a crime. Or he witnessed a situation. Who's best? A judge didn't witness it. He has to hear evidence and he has to hear a witness. But because once the witness saw it, Kivan Dero, the Gemara says, so once he saw it, it biases him. He can't really be objective. So he has to testify and say what he saw. But he can't be the person that's going to judge. Because the sight is so so compels us. Vision, when we see something, you can't compare hearing something to seeing. Once you see something, it has effect on you, a certain effect. So you may have seen something and you saw it accurately, but maybe you misunderstood what you saw. That's why you nasa nasadayin. So bottom line is, the emotions are extremely powerful, but they don't just, they're not just subjective on their own, they also affect the mind. Like he says here, And that's why you'll see, like going back to the behemoth, an animal, when it is in the throes of passion, of its impulses, impulses, it uses its mind to fulfill its passions. You don't have the mind saying, hey, calm down. That's not how an animal works. It's not meant to work that way. In a human being, we're going to learn that the divine soul resides in the mind and that's meant to be reflective and it's meant to help you refrain from following your impulses. But on its own, the animal impulses of the emotions residing in the blood will be exactly like the blood. It will rush to the mind and affect your mind. And we see the extent of it. People can become completely obsessed. Their minds work overtime, as I said before, to plot, to conspire, to figure out how to satisfy a desire. And when you think about it as an outsider, or you look back at it, you say, that's really strange. But that's the power of emotions. That's the power of blood. That's the power of the heart. That's the Mishkin of the Nefesh Habams. So now, when you think of the Prakim, the chapters earlier where he discussed what the animal soul was, this in a way. It's obviously completely consistent, but it also gives us like a type of imagery and visual where the animal soul resides and how it functions. So till now we were talking about in the earlier chapters the nature of the animal soul. That the divine is concealed in it. That focuses on our own interest. Our own, let's say, tivest, desires. Not directed toward godliness. And the goal is to direct it the way it toxifies and pollutes the human being. But here he's going and explaining the very dynamic. What is the psychological force at work here? The emotional pas- passions, the impulses that come from the emotions. Now this is just for the record not meant to throw us persons. of course we need our impulses. That's what can protect us from danger or other times. You need to have that reaction. But you want to also have control over it because you don't want to be driven by your impulses. So now, let's go now to that divine soul. Now where does the divine soul dwell and reside? But the place where the divine soul resides or rests, where is that? That's in the brain in the head. Resh is ahead, head, is the faculty of intellect that's in the mind, that mind in the brain. So that's a very different type of force. The animal soul originates in the, in the fiery passions of the impulses of the heart. The nefesh, the kis, originates in the reflective mind. And from where from there, and from, from where it flows into all the organs and all the parts of the body. Vigambalev and the divine soul also goes into the heart. So just as we said, the blood of the heart travels into and circulates and flows into the entire body also to the head. The other way around, the mind has the power also. The divine soul, as it rests in the mind, resides in the mind, Flows into all parts of the body. V'gambelev. And we're in the heart. Becholol hayemoni She'ein Divine soul's resting place doesn't remain only in the mind, but also in the heart. We're in the right chamber. She'ein Before he said, in the left side, he said, mo'leidam. Here, ein and the same idea, not that there's no blood there. There's no energized blood. It's the blood that is used, that right side, is to mix it with oxygen. So when you say it doesn't have blood, you mean it doesn't have that original blood. That's the simplest explanation. It's so, Ain by dam. meaning that the function of the right side of the heart is not the transmission and the circulation of blood. Its function is to draw the oxygen into the blood, to mix the oxygen into the blood. That's what he means, to But what we see here is that there's an effect of the mind on the heart. Just as the heart can affect the mind, the mind can affect the heart as the verse states the heart of the wise man is on his right the wise man wears his heart on the right referring to the right side of the heart this is not careless. Yud Beis 10.2 and now he's going to continue to explain so what is that exactly how does the reflective mind affect the right side of the heart? And he's going to explain that's the passions that are directed toward God, Avas Hashem. Remember, we're not just looking to be reflective and remain intellectual. We want our emotions to be directed toward godliness. But now the mind is guiding the heart, and what is it guiding it to do? Not to be, follow its fiery, impulsive passions, but to be directed toward godliness. But that will leave for the next year. So we began chapter 8, chapter 9 rather, where we talk about the two souls and how they're beginning to understand their personalities and how we will soon discuss their battle. Because there's going to be a direct conflict. This is a setup of a real collision course. But then we learn what we can do about it in the coming chapters. So we'll stop here. Go to tanyaapply.com. You can find this and many of the previous programs. As well as submit any question that you may have. A and aksive vichsimeteva. A good gebenstjor to everyone. And may this be the year of ployes gudelis, guula amitis is Especially as we teach and learn chsedus, which is what Mashiach told about Shemta. an Rosh Hashanah, that I will come when your well springs will spread outward. A good gebenstjor. Be well. This has been My Life Tanya Applied with Rabbi Simmon Jacobson. Please join us again next week. Visit chasidahsupplied.com for archived classes and more resources.